So we're going to talk a little bit. We started a few weeks back on this series uh, talking about who we were. And uh, so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about generosity as part of who we are. And I, I don't know if y'all uh, have noticed, but there's, there's a series of ads that Geico does. And it's, you know, it's because what we do, this is what we do. Some of you have seen those. And there's one of them that's my particular favorite uh, that I want to share with you this morning. You know, it's because this is, this is what we do. And um, so uh, this is not an ad for Geico. I'm not trying to tell you to buy a Geico. Please don't go there. But this ad is just too funny. Oh, this is awful. Try it. Oh, no, that looks gross. What is that? You gotta try it. It's terrible. I don't want to try it if it's terrible. It's like mango chutney and burnt hair. No, thank you. I have a very sensitive palate. Just try it! Guys, I think we should hurry up. If you taste something bad, you want someone else to try it. It's what you do. I can't get the taste out of my mouth. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Shh. Dog, 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 dog. Yeah, it reminds me of Boy Scout camp. <laughs> oh, you got to try it. It's awful. Oh, I can't get the taste out of my mouth. Try it. Just try it. <laughs> it tastes like burnt hair and mango chutney. Who knows what that tastes like? <laughs> but I, I, every time I see that ad, I'm just, I'm just immediately kind of going back to... Now, 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 actually, in Boy Scout camp, what happens is over time, the, the boys get better and the food gets better and it's not so awful, you know, and, and so they improve. But, you know, sometimes in our world today, that's, that's sometimes the way it seems like. It's like, oh, this is awful. You've got to try it. That's... So, so this morning, when we're talking about who we are, let's, let's think about trying something better than burnt hair and mango chutney. Let's pray. Uh, Father, come and feed us with the sweetness of your word this morning and uh, fill us with something that truly is good that we want to share with one another. Um, come and be present with us. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, about, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, we started this kind of series talking about who we are, working off of the, the core vision statement. And I'm going to take you back and remind you that that first Sunday, I talked about our call and purpose. And the statement that we've kind of worked on and discerned is this, God calls Bethany to be a community participating in God's mission of love, transforming us and the world. We do this by leading people to experience God's love, know Jesus Christ, and grow in his image. And the last part of that hopefully is familiar to you since it's printed on the front of your bulletins every week. Uh, but the first part we wanted to unpack, and so we, uh, we explained some of this. I'm not going to read through all the scriptures, but uh, they're on the, the sermon from that Sunday, or you can just write them down if you want to look them up. Uh, we talk about community in the, in the sense of the early church community uh, model for us in Acts 2, 42 to 47. We talk about joining with God's mission, uh, Missio Dei, which is uh, uh, the commission for that given us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, and God's mission of love as defined in 1 John 3, 16 to 18, that's transforming the world. Um, God, God loving us where we are, but loving us too much to leave us there, uh, as you see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. And so those pieces come together as part of this core vision of who we're about, and we define that working out in the midst of this community uh, in, in four what we call pillars of spiritual growth. And uh, let's see if you remember them. The, the first one is what we're doing this morning, which is? Oh, Yeah. Everybody got that one pretty good. And then, and then the next one is the intentional lifelong learning and growing on our relationship with Christ, which is? It's pretty good. Is that good enough? Okay. 
And, and then when we take that relationship with Christ and our faith and we put it into concrete action, that's right. And, and when we respond to God's provision for us joyfully and faithfully, we do that by there you go. See, y'all are getting it. Yay. So uh, those four pillars. And we're going to talk about how generosity is part of who we are. Um, and, and this is why we respond that way this morning. I want to go back to a passage I read to you last week. Uh, but this is Eugene Peterson's uh, version of it out of the message. Uh, and he's talking to the church in Corinth. And, and he's talking to them about the churches in Macedonia's offering for the saints in Jerusalem. He's trying to encourage Corinth to be part of that, and so he's using the Macedonians as an example. And, uh, and talking about the Macedonians, he said this was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. That's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention so that what was so well begun could be finished up. You do so well in so many things. You trust God. You're articulate. You're insightful. You're passionate. You love us. Now, do your best in this too. I'm not trying to order you around against your will. But by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I am hoping to bring the best out of you. You are familiar with the generosity of our Master, Jesus Christ. Rich as He was, He gave it all away for us. In one stroke, He became poor and we became rich. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish up, so go to it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. Now that last line in the NRSV says something like, uh, you give as you're able, not as you're not able. Uh, but I like the way Eugene uh, puts it here, you know, you do what you can, not what you can't. Because that can apply not only to your giving, but to your serving, to your praying, to, to everything we do in faith that we don't allow the things that we don't feel like we're very good at to keep us from doing the things we're really good at. Start where you're at and, and let God grow you into it wherever you are and whether we're talking about prayer or whether we're talking about service or, or whatever. Uh, but allow God to grow you. Uh, and don't worry about what you're not able to do at this point because God will take care of that. So as we read through this, this idea of, you know, giving and, and giving in response to what God has done uh, in us. I mean, if you heard that passage, you know, you, you've given yourself unreservedly to God already. So, you know, this is just an extension of that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about who we are as, as a body of Christ, joining with God in this, this partnership with God, uh, this mission of love. Um, I, I've been uh, able to go to Kenya the last two years <clears throat> in a row. And with this past summer, uh, at, with World Vision, uh, the national church liaison person with World Vision uh, was with us two years ago, and he had this kind of you know, idea as we were on the trip. And he says, you know what would be really great? He says, I have a couple of really large congregations that we've not been able to get on board. And it would be really great if we could bring them to this project and let them see what's happening here um, and you know, uh, you know, kind of get convinced that this is something they want to be part of. And he said, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to World Vision and see if I can get them to, to pay their way to come over here 
and see this project. He says, if I do that, would you be willing to come and be kind of the guide and the interpreter for them so they can understand what all they're seeing and what's happened in this area? And, and my response was, well, I will if you're going to pay my way too, because uh, I just did this. I don't have that kind of money laying around. And, and he said, yes. Yeah. So, so I went this past summer uh, and took a group in. Um, and uh, this is a group coming out of some uh, very large congregations, pastors and executive pastors out of churches that are uh, you know, twice our size or three to, to five times our size, really large congregations uh, going into this project, a really high-powered kind of people. And, uh, and we got to take them in and show them through the project. And it really, it really was an awesome experience to do that. Um, I mean, I, I think I got as much out of it as they did. But when we had gone two years ago, we met a gentleman, and I wanted to be sure we went back and saw him this year. Uh, his name is Jeffrey. And this is a picture of him we took this summer. Uh, and Jeff, Jeffrey impressed me last year. We met him. Uh, he's got a one-acre farm in the Matete area, and he's got his two sons living there with him. And, uh, and, and he's one of the champion farmers, which means he's teaching other people how to do things that he's been taught to do. And uh, we were just terribly impressed with him last year. I mean, it was just um, so, you know, this year I insisted. I said, this is one of the people we have to go back to uh, and visit. Um, last year, when we were making our rounds through all the, the vi different villages and stuff, uh, we were given live chickens, which is, uh, you know, a gift of honor uh, that's sometimes given to you. And if you don't know this, uh, TSA will not let you take a live chicken on a plane. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but they'll, they're, they're going to take it away from you. I'm they're not going to let you do that. So, so we went to the World Vision staff and we said, well, we have these live chickens and what are we going to do with them? And here, you guys figure out, you know, who needs these live chickens. And some of them went to, to Jeffrey, uh, which we were all very happy about. So, you know, I really kind of wanted to go back and see how he was doing and everything. And uh, Jeffrey's a, a, an interesting, a, a really interesting man. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Jeffrey um, was born in one of the larger communities in Western Kenya. And early on, his father left the family, which is a problem uh, that has plagued parts of Kenya. And, uh, and so the mother was raising the kids on her own. Uh, the mother contracted malaria and passed away when Jeffrey was in his early teens. Uh, so the first thing he did was he went to work out in the cane, sugar cane fields because that's a ready source of employment for young boys in Kenya. But he hadn't been doing that very long when he realized that he just was not going to make enough money doing that to ever get ahead of anything in life. And so he decided he needed to do something that would pay him better. And he headed to the northern border of Kenya, which is an area of, uh, which is in very much dispute, very violent area. He headed up there and hired out to the private, some of the private security forces in that area. He worked for them for a number of years and then actually enrolled in the military, the Kenyan military, uh, and served with them on that border for a couple of years. All that time, he saved up all the money he could. Eventually he came back home. Uh, there was a young lady he had been interested in since before, uh, and he came back home and asked her to marry him, and they got married. Uh, and he intended to stay, uh, you know, in the western area of Kenya. That's where he intended to be, and, and they started life together. Uh, they had their first child. And, and then, you know, he couldn't really find employment that paid very well because he'd never finished school. He had no education. Nobody wanted to hire him anything uh, for anything like that. His only skill was he knew how to handle a gun. So he worked for some private security around the area, uh, but most of those jobs didn't pay very much. Uh, and eventually he went back to doing contract work with private security forces in Northern Kenya. Uh, and that's how he began to uh, make money. Um, he would travel back down. His wife had two more children uh, over the course of several years, and he continued to work uh, in the Northern part of the country. Um, <clears throat> 
Eventually, he got a message uh, from one of his family members that his wife and his daughter, the middle child, had both died of malaria. And so the two sons went to live with his brother. And after a short while, the brother wrote him and said, I, I can't do this. Um, I'm going to put your two sons out for hire to the sugarcane companies. Um, and Jeffrey did not want that for his sons. He wanted something better for that. And he wanted really something better for himself, but he wanted something better for his sons. He wanted them to be able to be in school and get an education and, and do better in life. And so uh, he took all the money he'd made. He, he'd saved up some money. He sold everything he owned. He took that sum of money. He came down to our area out in the countryside of Matete and bought a one-acre farm that somebody was selling. It's one acre. It had some dilapidated structures on it. And uh, he picked his boys up, bought this farm, and, and moved out there on that. He knew nothing about farming. had never farmed before in his life. Um, and he and his sons rebuilt the main house, which is where they live. And, uh, and then he began to farm with some advice from people out in the community. The World Vision staff that was out there noticed him because, uh, one, he had come back to take care of his kids, uh, which is somewhat unusual, and also because uh, they were uh, really impressed with um, how committed he was to his two boys and, and how committed he was and how hard he was working to make that farm uh, work. So they came alongside of him and they taught him some things about how to do farming and, and do it better and what he'd been doing, and, and he did really well with that. And, and that's when we met him uh, last year, just before we got there. They'd gone to him and they said, Jeffrey, uh, you're doing a great job with this. We would like you to be one of our champion farmers. And what that means is we'll teach you how to farm as, as well as possible on this land, but you have to teach the people around you. You have to share that knowledge with the people around you. And Jeffrey said, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. And so they began to work with him as a champion farmer, um, they also uh, connected him with a local worshiping community, and he took, started taking his boys there to worship and, uh, and be part of the Bible studies there, something that he had not been involved with since he was a young boy. Uh, but he was there on a regular basis and worshiping with him and taking his kids there to, to be in worship with him. Um, when we went back to him last summer, um, we found that instead of just having five crops on this one acre, he was rotating about seven or eight different crops on this one acre of land. Uh, he had dug a well and uh, put a couple of these tanks up there so that he could irrigate that one acre of land. Uh, he'd planted some fruit trees on that one acre of land. The, uh, the three or four chickens that the World Vision staff had given him last year now were like 15 chickens and, uh, and plus chicks and eggs. And he was selling chicks and eggs to people. And uh, he had also uh, and he made a chicken coop out of one of the dilapidated structures on that property. He'd taken one of the other dilapidated structures and turned that into a pigsty and he had a sow and with the sow he had three one-year-old pigs and and uh, I think six uh, I mean seven six-month-old piglets uh, that he was going to raise and sell uh, and so he was you know just this place was multiplying like crazy uh, and as we were talking to him and he's walking us around this property and showing this to him several of his neighbors come over about five or six of his neighbors come over and they start talking to us about all that Jeffrey has taught them about how to farm and one lady in particular across the road from where his place is was saying look you can see my you can see my property it's right there she says there is no sugar cane on my land now y'all need to know sugar cane's a big uh, problem over there. The, the big companies encourage people to do that. But if you don't have five to 10 acres or so, uh, it, it is not financially doable. I mean, it's a, it's a net loss if it's a smaller piece of property. And so all these small property owners need to learn something else. And she was very proud that instead of having sugar cane, she was showing us her corn. 
and her kale and her beans and all the things that she'd planted on her property that Jeffrey had taught her about and Jeffrey had given her the seeds to start with. And so all this, this five was there and they were telling us how they'd formed a co-op and now they're, they're, they're putting all their resources together and taking down to the market and taking turns going down to the market with the produce and selling it and how well they're doing. And, and you know, you can see Jeffrey's just beaming through all of this, this uh, glow on his face. He's just amazing. Uh, and, and so uh, then uh, after we do all this and we walk around and the, these guys see all that he's done on this one acre of land, we go inside his house and we sit down and he brings out his ledger book. Now, some of you need to understand that, you know, uh, what a ledger book is. See, you know, we didn't always have like QuickBooks and, you know, Quicken and all those different, you know, kind of computer programs. So there's a thing called a ledger book. It's like a, a book with paper pages in it, and it's got lines across it and columns in it. Uh, and this is where you, you enter, you know, your income and expenses and work out the math for, for what kind of money you're making on things. I know that's a, a, a I mean, for some of you, that may be a challenge, but um, it's, a, it's an old concept. But that's how Jeffrey keeps track of his finances. And so it's in this ledger book and he brings it out to us and we're, we're working our way through it and looking at it. And we realize in the first six months of this year, Jeffrey had made 3,600 Kenyan shillings. Now that's about $360 US, but uh, in six months he'd made that much. Uh, the average farmer in this part of Kenya makes 1,200 shillings a year. So in six months he'd made three times what most people make in a year. And so had the people around him who he's been working with. They're doing really well for him themselves. And his boys are still in school. Matter of fact, his oldest son's been accepted into the University of Nairobi and will go there next year. Uh, his boys are doing really well in school and they were showing us their grades. And I'm sitting there with these uh, uh, men and, and women who are, you know, coming out of these large congregations, very high-powered churches, and they're, they're impressed with this guy, and, and we're impressed with this guy. And so they, they t ask him to tell the story, and he tells them the story of his life. Uh, he was orphaned, and how the, the first part of his life was so difficult, and then he, you know, he, he got married and thought life was going to get better, and it didn't, and then he lost his wife and his daughter, and he'd had to, to come home, and how hard he'd had to work to make this farm work, and to keep his boys in school, and, and to take them to church, and, and take them to Bible study, and these guys were, were just really, I mean, they were just am amazed and impressed with him. And one of them asked him, said, you know, well, you know, your life has been really hard, and yet you've done so well, and when we look at you, we just see joy on you. I mean, how is that possible? What, what are you doing? And he said, well, every day, you know, when we finish the day, and we're, we finish working, and the boys get home from school, uh, we've done their homework, uh, we've had dinner, and we've cleaned up after dinner. He said, we sit down, and we read the Bible together. He said, and there's this particular passage uh, that has come to mean a lot to me that I want to share with you. And so he began to read us the story from uh, the book of Daniel, where uh, Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego are uh, being told that they have to worship the idols of, of Babylon. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. 
and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now that last sentence is Daniel 3.18. And so Jeffrey says, you know, any time that uh, I begin to feel sorry for myself, or I begin to be uh, jealous of what someone else has, or I begin to feel like life hasn't been fair to me, um, he says, this is, this is my verse I go back to because I realize that I am being tempted to worship the gods of this world. He said, so I go back to this verse, and this has become the verse I stand on. He said, this is now my weapon. He's traded a rifle in for this verse of Scripture. And I looked around the room at all these uh, men and women who come from these uh, much larger, high-powered congregations, and they're just in tears. Because, you know, we're all sitting there realizing that we all have so much. We have so much more than he has, and our lives have been so much easier than his. And and we, we complain about all of the things that we don't have. And here he is, and he is so strong in his faith. He's so strong in his faith. And he just inspired us. This is what I want you to hear about Jeffrey. When Jeffrey came to Matete, he didn't know how to farm. The World Vision staff recognized him. They recognized the potential he had. They've taught him how to farm, how to make this profitable, and how to teach the people around him how to make their lives better. They connected him with a worshiping community. And the pastor of that worship community was one that World Vision trained and sent to school. And that pastor has shepherded him to this place in his faith. And all of that that they're doing, they understand, is part of what God has called them to do in that community. I mean, this is one story, and there's hundreds I could tell you out of this community of people's lives that have been transformed by God's love in this community. And you are part of that. Because God invited us to be part of what God was doing in that community. And you said yes. And this is what God does. God invites us into this mission he's about. And who we are is when God invites us in, we say yes. We'll join with you in that. Whether we're talking about uh, Matete or somewhere else. I mean, in this area, uh, when we went in there the first year, two out of every five children under the age of five died every year. Mostly because of waterborne illness. When we went back this time, we're in the Matete Water District and we're looking at a sign. And in the first six months of this year, there was not a single recorded case of waterborne illness in the community. The first time we went, there were 400 children in one of the dilapidated schools. Now that school has a number of new classrooms, and there's 1,100 children going to school there. That's what God is doing in this community to transform people's lives. And God invited us into that, and we said yes, because that's who we are. In El Salvador, there's a medical clinic now that serves a population of 240,000 people that did not have access to medical care prior to that. That's God changing their lives, and God invited us into that, and you said yes to that invitation. This is who we are, participating in what God's mission of love. 
you know, uh, fresh food for all passes out fresh uh, produce to people in our local community out of here in our parking lot several times a week. And we, there's a food truck that goes downtown on a regular basis to pass out food to the homeless people. And God has invited us to be part of that mission of love. And, and part of who we are is to say, we said yes. There's people volunteering with HCCM, Hill Country Communities Ministries, Christian Resource Center, uh, Community First Village on the east side of town to work with folks who are in need or folks who are homeless. There's people who come here every Thursday afternoon and meet with people who in financial difficulty and, and help them out through that time. And, and all that work that God is doing in the community, God invited us to be part of. And you said yes. That's part of who we are. Some 200-something people going on mission trips on an annual basis from, from here to Tennessee to Palacios. I mean, when our mission team goes to Palacios, the population in Palacios is measurably higher because we're there. Because God invited us to join with him and we said yes. On a given Sunday, there's between 90 and 110 children in Sunday school in this building and on a given Sunday night, there's 85-something kids, uh, students who are coming to youth and are learning and worshiping and praising God. Their lives are being changed by God's love, and God invited us to be part of that with Him, and you said yes. There are people who come to this church who are looking for help in recovering from uh, the loss of grief or the loss of a broken marriage or who are struggling with addiction. And, and they come here and they participate in grief recovery. They participate in divorce recovery. They come for life recovery to deal with addiction. All of those kinds of healing events take place here through God's love working in this place because you are willing to come alongside God and say yes. House of Friends provides a respite to folks who have a, um, Alzheimer's, provides a respite to their family, and, and also helps their families know how to cope with that. God's love is working in their lives because you said yes. Because you said yes. From here to the community, to the broader region, to the world. It's almost like what Jesus said, right? You're going to be my witnesses. Starting here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God is at work in the midst of the world. And God calls us to join with him in that work. And you said yes, because that's who we are. We are God's people joining with what God is already doing. So this morning when you are uh, making those estimates of giving for next year, I want you to understand that, that act of generosity, that's the, the undergirding, that's the fuel that, that you know, runs the motor. That, that's what makes it possible for so much of this to happen. That's one of the tangible ways that we say yes to God's call on our lives. And I invite you to, to take that very seriously and not just to, you know, kind of, you know, do it lightheartedly, but rather understand that this is one of the ways God calls us to participate with us in what God is doing in the midst of the world. And this is a gift for us to be able to say yes to God's call on our lives. I want to share with you this last piece of scripture. It's just from Romans 12. Again, this is Eugene Peterson uh, writing, uh, translating this passage. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. 
take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Oh, this is awful. You got to try it. (laughs) Like raccoons. God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. When we say yes to God's call in our lives, God brings the best out of us. Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks for your amazing love that envelops us wherever we are, uh, whoever we are, whatever we are, wherever uh, your love <laughs> embraces us and yet you love us too much to leave us in those broken places and so you are moving uh, on the face of this earth changing it by virtue of your love and you bless us by inviting us to be part of it and so father we ask that you hear us this morning as we say yes to your invitation and we ask that that as we say that and your blessing is poured out upon us, that, that even more so, um, that generosity will be a blessing to others. So open our hearts and our minds this morning, Father. We come before you and we say yes. Amen.